Whitney Houston was the best voice of the 90s. She also, since it's Super Bowl Sunday, it merits mentioning she sang the best Super Bowl or the best national anthem ever at Super Bowl 25, the Bills and Giants. If you're not familiar with it, YouTube that this afternoon just absolutely crushes uh, the national anthem. And she crushes this song too. Now, just a quick disclaimer, uh, the scenes you're seeing are from a movie called The Bodyguard that came out in 1992. I've never seen it because I was 12 and I wasn't allowed to watch our movies then. So if you go home and you watch The Bodyguard, that's between you and God. It's not between you and me. I'm not recommending it. I just really wanted to use that song. So this is the last week of songs in the key of love. Next week, we start a series called Red Letters. That's our series out of the Gospel of John. It's gonna really focus specifically on the words of Jesus in the Gospel of John, and it will lead us up to and actually one week past Easter. So that means if we're starting the series that leads us to Easter, that means we're almost to spring. We're getting there. We're getting close. But today, I wanna talk to you about I Will Always Love You. You know, I selected this all-time bop so I could talk about marriage today. But before I get there, and, and it's great, I love that Anthony said what he said because we didn't talk about this last night. My notes just say address the elephant in the room. Before I jump into talking about marriage, I want to acknowledge that when I say that, there's a whole bunch of people that are like, oh man, right? I mean, it's like a stomach punch just hearing the topic. You would rather hear me talk about my fantasy football team for a half an hour than talk about marriage. And no, we didn't win, but we should have, and it's a different story, right? There's anything else you would rather hear because marriage is hard, right? And that's what I love that Anthony said, because there are people right now, that was for you. That's this part of the message where you have to really deeply believe and trust that despite what you might feel is some brokenness or some mistakes or failures from the past, that God can and still will use that. So I don't want you to hear that marriage is there and just check out for half an hour, give God a chance to get something in there for you, but also understand that I know this is a tough topic. But marriage, marriage is tough, right? I mean, marriage, man, it's tough, it's hard. I had a conversation in 2012 with Amy and I write these things down so that you know that they're true later on. I was reading something and I told her, hey, Joel Osteen said in an interview with Oprah that he and his wife have never had any difficulties in marriage. And Amy said, seriously, that's crazy because I've only been married five years and I've had some difficulties. And I looked at her and I said, you have? Because I, I haven't. And she said, well, of course not. I wouldn't have either if I was married to me. <laughs> yeah. 
People that know us the best, like Amy's the funny one, and that's fine, I can live with that. In weddings, not every wedding that I do, but a lot of times in weddings, I'll say something to the effect of marriage is the greatest and most challenging of all human relationships. But I also believe it has the opportunity to be the most rewarding of all human relationships. But it isn't something that just magically happens. It doesn't happen when the pastor says, you may kiss your bride, that's for sure. It doesn't just develop naturally over time with enough time. It happens when two people make some very deliberate and intentional decisions. And that's in our main point today, is that the strongest marriages are made up of two people who have made a lifelong decision to love each other and are willing to put in the work that it takes to make that happen. It's two people who aren't just saying, I hope I always love you, but it's two people who are saying, I will always do the work that it takes to love you. I don't know if I can fully properly explain this, but I'll try. I've sat in rooms with couples who are going through hard times. Maybe they're struggling to communicate, they're struggling to raise kids together, they're struggling to deal with their families. Sometimes they're just struggling to get along. And things aren't great. But at the same time, all three of us in that room know that no matter how challenging this season is right now, no one's tapping out. No one's tapping out, no one's leaving. Somewhere along the line, whether it was a specific conversation or maybe a, maybe a series of conversations or just a trust that was built, there was a line drawn. And that line was, it doesn't matter how hard things get, it doesn't matter how much work this is, neither of us are leaving. They've made a lifelong decision to always love each other no matter what. And they meant it, they really meant it to their core. There is a huge, huge difference between you make me feel warm and fuzzy, you make me have butterflies in my stomach, and I really enjoy being with you, so I'm going to continue to show love to you as long as you meet my needs and desires. But if you stop doing that, or you stop doing that the way I think you should, or I stop feeling those butterflies and other things, or I meet someone else that I think might be able to do that better, then I'm out. And listen, I'm not trying to boil down every broken marriage or divorce to a simplistic, concise issue. A lot of you could come up here and you could tell the story of your divorce and you could tell us how hard you fought. And we know it takes two, right? You could tell us what you did. You could tell us the help that you sought, how you didn't just walk away when it first got difficult. How you didn't throw in the towel. And I get that. And please don't hear what I'm saying as minimizing or mocking the pain of your past. I'd never want to do that. But at the same time, when you're in a couple that has made that kind of commitment, you know. You know that no matter what you face, you're going to face it together. And so I wanted to use this great song to lead into one of my favorite passages today to talk about marriage. It's actually, not that there's ever going to be a trivia question about this, it's the first passage I preached out of, out of the first two churches I was a pastor. Uh, it's a passage I've used several times in weddings, probably in some of your weddings that are sitting here this morning. And Pastor Vern actually touched on it really quickly last week when talking about forgiveness. And I'll talk about forgiveness in a bit. But I want to be really clear as I use this passage. need to let you know, I like to use this passage to talk about marriage, but it is not a marriage passage. When Paul sat down under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to write this, he wasn't thinking like, all right, time to write some words for the married couples out there. I've got to give them some encouragement. He sat down and he wrote rules that God's people should follow to be in healthy relationships with each other. 
So while I'm going to apply it specifically to marriage relationships today, please know it's certainly not all these verses apply to. So if you're married or you're in a relationship that's leading to marriage, this passage should have a lot to say to you. But even if you are not, I still think there's a lot specifically here for you. And I'm talking about Colossians 3, 12 to 17. I'm gonna split this up and we'll read it together. It says, therefore, I just, just for the record, I mean, like I'm gonna read the two things. I don't need you guys to all read out loud. Some of you guys are like, I'm not doing that. It'd be like five of you that would read it together. It's okay, I love you anyway. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I love those verses. Six verses, but they are packed with some foundational, formational wisdom in there. Of course, assuming that we actually apply the word of God to our lives, right? We don't just listen to it. We listen to it and we say, what do we need to change? How do we need to live differently? How can we apply this? So that's what we're gonna try and do today. We're gonna start right here at the beginning. The foundation of your marriage should consist of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You see the words there of Paul that he used in the passage. And some of you, you hear that list and you're like, man, that's a tough list. Like, that's how I'm supposed to treat my spouse, those five things? Let me let you in on a little secret. As I told you, it's not a marriage passage. These five things are how we're supposed to treat everybody. It's how we're actually supposed to treat everybody. Paul says we're supposed to clothe ourselves with these traits. I like that imagery. I like that word, clothe yourselves, because you think about clothing yourselves. Clothing covers what's there. I don't want to be too graphic, but it covers the stuff we don't want people to see. Like, I'm grateful for clothes. Clothes are good. So maybe at your core, what's there is you're not someone who's compassionate or kind or humble or gentle or patient. Patient. I'm just going to tell you, left to my own devices, my natural wiring, I go 0 for 5 on that list. None of those things are who I am on my own apart from Jesus. Now, you can view that different ways, right? You can be like, man, you're messed up. You're supposed to be our pastor, right? And you're saying you're not humble or kind or compassionate or none of those things. But how I view it is when I see those things in my life, it's a reminder for me that God is reshaping, rewiring, and changing who I am. When I feel compassion, I know that God's at work in my heart, in my life, because I'm not a naturally compassionate person. That's okay, Jesus loves me anyway. On the flip side, when I'm not clothed in those things, it's pretty clear evidence to me that I'm not where I need to be with God at the moment, right? When I'm not feeling compassion or I'm not feeling patient, I know I've gotta get back to where I need to be with God before I start screwing up the things in my life that matter the most. So that's the expectation of Christ followers in our relationship. And that is the expectation placed on us in our marriage relationships. Some of us, we need to say this, we can actually be better at exhibiting these five traits to all the other people in the world than we are to our spouses. It's like we go out and all day, we can be gentle and kind to the people we see during the day, to your colleagues and your friends, and you're super polite to the person that checks you out of the grocery store when you go through. And I'm not telling you to stop that, right? Don't pick that up. 
But we come home at night and it's almost like you've emptied the tank out of all those things and you don't have any of those things left for your spouse. That's not who you wanna be. That's not what you wanna do. So watch this. Monitor this closely in your life. Listen to your tone and how you speak to your spouse. Listen to the words that you speak about your spouse. Constantly be holding your words and your actions up to a mirror to ask, are they showing compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience? And when they aren't, apologize and make a commitment to do better going forward because apologizing is going to be a huge part of any relationship. So the next thing that we saw from Paul that we need to do in our marriages is allow forgiveness to be a part of the rhythm of your relationship. He said, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. I know for a lot of you here, your plan is like, I'm just not gonna screw up that much, right? I'm not gonna screw up that much. My plan, I'm not gonna hurt my spouse. I'm not gonna let them down and then I won't have to apologize. I just wanna say that's not gonna work all the time. For some of us, it's not gonna work most of the time. And when we fall short, we have to apologize. And I get it, apologizing is hard. I would say if humility is a part of the foundation of your relationship, I think that will make apologizing become a bit easier because that's why we don't like apologizing. It's humbling. It's humbling. It's really humbling to say, I was wrong and I am sorry, right? That takes a lot of humility. Those are some of the hardest words to say. The phrasing that I'll use sometimes, I'll say, I'm sorry, that's not the kind of husband that I want to be, because all that's true. I have a picture of the kind of husband that I want to be, the kind of husband that I think Amy deserves for me to be, and when I fall short of that, I hate it, and I'm sorry that I do fall short of that. But I gotta give you a reminder about apologies. An apology is only valid when you also plan to do something different in conjunction with it, right? An apology without a change of behavior is just manipulation, to just say, I'm sorry, and then continue on. I love pickleball, and it's the fastest growing sport in America, and it's an amazing time, and I'm not here for your pickleball slander if you disagree, it's fine. One of the great things about pickleball is when you get play with people of a certain level, I don't want you to think I'm doing, like if you come out to pickleball itself, I don't want you to think I'm gonna do this to you the first time you come. But a really great strategy is to hit the opponent with the ball because it's really hard to hit the ball back when it hits you, right? So you try and hit the person with the ball and I do it all the time. I'm trying to keep it neck down. I don't wanna hit you in the face. I will feel bad if I hit you in the face. But if I hit you neck down, it's good, right? I'm like, there you go, it's our point. And so. I don't say I'm sorry when I hit someone neck down with a pickleball because I'm trying to do it. I was playing with Amy's brothers and they are all super athletes and this one particular brother, he just did the Ironman. So that's like he biked like, what, like 125 miles and he swam two and a half and then he ran a marathon at the end, which is absurd. So I can't compete with him in many things, but I can in pickleball. So we were playing pickleball and I drilled him. I drilled him right in the chest. And I was like, yes. And I said, you good. And he kind of laughed and he said, is that like, I'm sorry? I said, no, no, no. I'm sorry means I'm not going to do it again. I'm going to try and hit you again on the very next point. So I just want to know, are you good? And he's like, yeah, I'm good. I'm like, okay, great. So don't say sorry for something you're going to do again. You're not sorry. You're not sorry if you're going to do it again. A genuine apology is I regret doing or saying what I did or said. And going forward, I'm committing to you that I will fight with everything in me not to do it again. That's a genuine apology. Stop saying, I'm sorry, when what you mean is, I don't wanna have this conversation anymore. Stop saying, I'm sorry, when what you mean is, I don't like seeing you hurt, and I think these words will help. 
Real genuine apologies don't just involve words, they come attached to a change in actions. Make that kind of forgiveness part of the rhythm of your relationship. Moving on with Paul, he said, without love, there won't be unity. Well, he said, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. I said, without love, there won't be unity. Love is like the glue. It's the active ingredient here that binds people together. If you wanna be united, if you wanna be bound together in perfect unity, you have to have love for your spouse. You won't be able to do this without love. And listen, if you feel that waning, do something about it. Get to work, water your own lawn. Love is an action. Love is something that you do. Far too often we think love just happens to us, right? It just falls off the shelf onto us. We think that you fall into love like you fall into a swimming pool or you fall out of love like you fall out of a chair. But love isn't something that happens to you. Love is something that you do. Love is a noun, not a verb. It's been a while since a lot of us have taken English, so it means that's an action word, right? Make love a noun. And that pause really scared some of you right there. Peter says, love covers a multitude of sins. It's why those things that you thought were so cute early in a relationship are now the same thing that drive you crazy about that person. Because early on, it's, oh, he's so fun and spontaneous. Now it's, would it kill him to put his dirty clothes in the hamper instead of throw them on that chair? I'm gonna get rid of that chair. I don't know why we have a laundry chair in the corner anyway. Then it was, she always has a lot of great ideas of things to do. Now it's, she's trying to control my life. I just wanna breathe. What's changed? What's changed is that love is no longer covering up those things like it once did. Love makes us kind towards imperfections. Love makes us charitable towards faults. And it often makes us even blind to the existence of those faults. And that is love. And you need it. You've got to have it, but don't just expect that you're going to stumble into it. You're going to have to work for it. Next, whenever it's possible, choose peace. Paul said, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. Now, those of you who know the Bible a bit, you know the wording I'm using to make this point is in reference to Romans 12, 18. It's probably the verse I end up referring to the most in counseling sessions. It's where Paul says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I love it. He's got those two disclaimers, right? He doesn't just say live at peace with everyone. He has to give these two things. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you. And I love it because Paul's saying the same kind of thing in this verse here. He's saying, let the peace of Christ rule. He's telling us that for some of us, it's a choice that we can make. We can frequently make a choice to live at peace. Now, couples, listen, there is something that will happen today that you really don't love. Your partner, your spouse is going to say something or do something, and you're not going to love it. I want you to know this. You can let it go. You can let it go. You can choose to live at peace. And I don't mean that you don't say anything and then you silently stew about it the rest of the day. That's not peace. I mean, you can let it go. You can overlook the offense. You can choose peace instead. And for a lot of us, that is a choice we need to make more often. Those of us that carry the burden of always being right, I'm talking to us, right? You can be right, and you don't have to convince everyone else you're right. You're not any more or less right, depending on who you convince that you're right. Just let it go and choose peace instead. But I also need to acknowledge that this isn't always possible. 
It's not always possible. First, there are some things you need to address in a marriage. There's stuff you have to address, right? You can't let resentment build up in that relationship. A few weeks ago, Pastor Vern referenced the couples who say, we never fight, right? Stop telling your pastors that. Because if you say it to me, I'm gonna ask who the doormat is. If you say, no, we never fight. I'm like, well, one of you is getting trampled and never standing up for themselves. So who is it, right? That's what we're gonna unpack together. So there are things you have to address. But secondly, and I need you to hear me clearly on this, maybe every time we talk about marriage, I need you to know that God, Jesus, this church, your pastors, none of us are calling on you or asking you to stay in an abusive relationship. That is not the obligation of a Christ follower or of anyone else. And for far too long, the church, the capital C church, has been on the wrong side of this. We have flexed our commitment to lifelong marriage in a way that told people either directly or indirectly that they had to stay in a marriage where they were being abused physically or emotionally. And I'm sorry for that. I am sorry if that happened to you. In previous messages, when I've brought this up, I've heard from people here who say that was true of them and they stuck around in an abusive relationship far longer than they should have because they were told by a pastor that's what they had to do. And that is you, I or any one of your pastors and staff here will help you get out of an unsafe environment. And your church, Northgate, and Jesus will still love you. I promise you, God's love for you is not tied to keeping an unhealthy or abusive relationship together. It's not. So whenever it is possible, choose peace. It's not always possible, but when it is, make that choice. The next thing we need to do is keep a heart full of gratitude. It's singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Gratitude is such a game changer. Gratitude is a game changer. Do you ever just have a moment of gratitude where it washes over your life and you see things maybe that you've come to take for granted and you see them in a different light? I think about that with this place sometimes because when I guest preached here in 2010, I wanna say, I think it was 2010, I walked out being like, man, if I could ever work at that church, my life would be perfect. Right? I, could, I wouldn't ask for anything else. There's nothing else I'd need. Just let me go to Northgate every weekend. And I'll have those moments where I'll sit back for a moment and realize you have exactly what you ask God for. And it's as good, it's better than I thought it would be. In January, uh, early January, we had to make a tough decision to put our 13 and a half year old chocolate lab down. And it was hard. It was really hard. It was way harder than I anticipated. But one thing happened that was really helpful for me. For some reason, all five of us are there on the couch at our house and, and my wife, Amy, asked the vet to take a picture. And I was like, I don't really want a picture of this, right? Like we're all, our faces are massive, we're bawling. Like that picture will never get posted anywhere. But when I looked at that picture, something happened. I was just washed over with gratitude. I wasn't washed over with gratitude because we had to say goodbye to our dog. That was awful. But I thought back to 2009 when we got him. And when we got him, we had just had a dog die at two. And that was awful. And we was like, we're never getting a dog again. But we decided we're going to do it. So we actually got another dog a week later, which is why he was named Mulligan. But also Amy was pregnant with Grace. And we'd been on a, a road of, of infertility. And we weren't sure how that was all going to work out. And I saw this picture through 2009's eyes. Right? And I saw, darn it, I did well last night because Amy wasn't here. I saw this family sitting on the couch and I saw these three beautiful girls, 13, 10, and eight, and this dog that was 13 that lived a healthy, full life. And I said, man, if you showed me that picture in 2009, I'm taking it 100 times out of 100. And even in the midst of something so hard, I just was washed over with gratitude for what I have. So keep your heart full of gratitude. At some point, your spouse was incredible to you. 
Now, I hope they're still incredible to you now, but at some point, they were enough that you said, I'm gonna spend my entire life with this person. If you aren't feeling that on a particular day, try to remind yourself of that feeling. We wrote our own vows for our wedding. I keep the paper that I read those vows off of in my top drawer of my dresser just to reread from time to time and to remember how a lot of the things that I have right now are the things that I prayed for years ago. If your relationship is filled with gratitude for each other, it is going to make applying the rest of these things significantly easier. And finally, the last thing, love your spouse in a way that honors Jesus. Paul said, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Listen, if you're here today, you're listening to this afterwards, or you're watching it online, and you aren't a Christ follower, I hope that you will do these first five things because you want to love your spouse well, and you want a happy, healthy, and strong marriage. Your life will be better if you have that. But for those of us here who are working to follow Jesus, those of us who are spending our one and only life trying to love him and honor him with our life and with how we live it, we have to love our spouse in a way that honors Jesus. We have to. What we do is for Jesus. He said, whatever you do, in word or deed, the things you say, the things you do, those things are all for Jesus. How we love our spouse reflects how we love Jesus. How we love our children reflects how we love Jesus. How we treat people with compassion, with kindness, with humility, gentleness, and patience, those things reflect the love of Jesus in our lives and it honors him with our lives. How we forgive people, knowing that we ourselves have been forgiven so greatly and freely honors Jesus. How we seek unity, how we choose peace, how we fill our hearts with gratitude, all of those things honor Jesus. And honoring Jesus in our lives, it looks like putting someone else before ourselves, putting their wants and their needs and their desires ahead of ours. Honoring Jesus looks like emulating that sacrificial love that he showed us when he laid down his life on the cross for us so that we would no longer be stuck paying the penalty for our own sins. And loving each other well, as a husband and a wife, it will always involve sacrifice because a strong and healthy marriage will come back to putting someone else before yourself. And that's not natural and it's not always easy. So it comes back to making a choice. It comes back to making a choice to have a marriage that puts each other first, this continual and conscious effort to honor and love someone above yourselves, to love the way that God loves us with a deep, undeserved, and sacrificial love. In the time I've spent doing pre-marriage counseling or doing marriage counseling after the wedding and just dealing with couples and, and really thinking about couples and studying that, you know what I've found to be the number one indicator of health in a marriage relationship? It is the number of decisions that are made in a day that say, I love you, versus the number of decisions that you make that say, I love me. We all love ourselves to a degree, right? It's easy to do stuff for me, but a healthy marriage says, I love you more than it says, I love me. So in a world full of I love me, be an I love you kind of marriage. Now, I wanna challenge you. I'm gonna close in prayer as I always do. And when I do, if you are sitting next to a person that you are married to or that you plan to be married to, I just wanna give you this opportunity. Right? Some of you are gonna reach out and you're gonna grab a hand and that hand's gonna say totally different things. For some of you, it's gonna say, man, I've loved you for 40 years. I'm gonna keep loving you all the way. Other people, grabbing that hand tonight or today is gonna be a little bit of a reminder. Maybe we're in a tough season, but we are going to get through it together. Right? You're gonna grab that hand in a way that says we're not letting go, even if this is challenging. 
And others, there's different things going on, but I encourage you to do that as we pray together. Father God, Lord, I pray for the couples that are in this room right now and that are online watching this together. God, I pray that our marriages would be strong and healthy. God, I pray we would always do what it takes, Lord, everything that we can do in our own power to make that happen. But God, I pray that your power would multiply those efforts by the power of your Holy Spirit. God, that you'd fill us and you'd change us. God, that you would clothe us with those traits or compassion and kindness, humility and gentleness and patience so that we can love each other well in a way that honors you. God, for people here, Lord, that marriage is just a hard topic. Lord, I pray that Anthony's words from earlier would stick with them. God, that you were in that. Lord, even if it was the worst chapter of their life, you were there and you've brought them through and you have not walked away from them and you will continue to not let them down. So God, wherever we are in this, Lord, I pray that your goodness would be known to us and that, Lord, we would know your love because of the love we have in our lives. And you do that in our lives for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, amen. We're gonna take an offering on the way out for Anthony's utility bill, if you don't mind just throwing a couple bucks in for that. Hey, when you do go, though, there are some suckers out there, some Northgate suckers. Celebrate, it's a little Valentine's Day treat slash the end of our love series, so please grab those because if you don't the staff will eat them over the next several weeks and we don't need that let me give you a takeaway today as you go and it's that marriage takes a lot of work but it also has the potential to be the most rewarding and fulfilling relationship that you can have so do that work at that and the love of god and the grace of jesus and the power of the holy spirit have a great week and we will see you next weekend